about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. I need to begin tonight with an apology. The outline in your sheets uh, with the heading Servants of the King is completely wrong. Um, It's completely wrong because I've been struggling with this passage this week and I couldn't decide actually how to kind of, uh, how to come at it and I've changed it a few times so just ignore this. The actual title of the sermon is Seeing Good Days and the actual outline, if you're interested, is that. So feel free to write it down or ignore it or go through it as we go. Um, it would be great, though, to have the passage before you. The outline's wrong, but the passage is right. That is what I'm preaching on. Uh, let me pray. Lord Jesus, you have risen from the dead and gone into heaven, and you are at God's right hand with all the angels and powers and authorities in submission to you. We praise you and we ask that you would speak your powerful word to us this evening. For your glory. Amen. I want to begin tonight by noticing uh, a phrase in this passage that I think is very striking and that really, I think, really resonates with us. Um, Maybe you noticed it as well. It's that phrase in verse 10 whoever would love life and see good days. I think that captures an aspiration that actually everyone has. Uh, Isn't that the Australian dream, to love life and see good days? But it's deeper than that. You know, the ancient Greek philosophers uh, always thought that it was like a premise you could begin from, a, a starting point that everyone would agree with, that all human beings desire to be happy. They didn't mean by happy just a feeling. They didn't mean that everybody wants to feel happy. That maybe they would have agreed with that too. But what they meant was all human beings want their lives to go well. They want to love life and see good days, basically. They want to make a success of their life. Um, I think I want to begin just by noticing those words and asking you to think for a moment about how dearly that aspiration is actually felt by you. I also think it's an interesting place to start because in our day, that aspiration has become more problematic. The future has become more worrisome in a lot of ways, at least for a lot of people. Maybe not everybody will agree with this, but there are a lot of people around who for whom those words and that aspiration actually come with a kind of pang of grief and pain about a future taken from us and from our children as the climate collapses and the prospect of good days grows dimmer. I remember, I really vividly remember having lunch with a friend, I was still in Canberra in in 2019, and we were sitting there and it was lovely, but we're talking about, the. we weren't thinking of COVID just around the corner, we're just thinking about the the changing climate and the rising house prices and he said to me, I really remember it, he said, it feels like these are the last best days 
Now, I don't know if he's right, I hope he's wrong. But it does feel like that. Whoever would love life and see good days, do you want that? And do you feel a sense of maybe the loss of that? Well, if we do feel any of that, I want us to notice that Peter actually thinks there is a way to it. Right? Part of what he's doing here is saying, well, here's how you do it. The path goes in a different direction to what we might expect, but it is an answer. And what I want to do this evening is talk about that answer and try and understand why Peter gets there. So, as I said, this is the outline. First, we'll look at what Peter says is this path to happiness, to loving life and seeing good days. Second, we'll think about why does he say that's the path. Third, we'll think about why should we trust this path, and that will lead us at the end to think about what it means to follow it. I hope that makes sense. It's definitely more sense than where the original outline was going. Okay, so first then, what does Peter say is the path to true happiness? Well, actually, his answer is a familiar one. It's the same thing he has been saying all through 1 Peter. His answer is the path of humble, gentle generosity in faith in God. He says it over and over again in different ways in this, but have a look first at verses 8 and 9. I'm not going to put the, all the verses on the screen. Um, they're in your outlines. Verses 8 and 9, finally, all of you, be like-minded. It's literally of one spirit. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then he goes on in the psalm with similar ideas. There's that phrase we mentioned, but then he says, how do you do this? You've got to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Verse 11, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. We've seen these ideas all through 1 Peter. Ever since Peter started talking about how we are to relate to the world around us, he says this is the way. He says it's a path of generosity even in the face of hostility. It's a path of honouring others and seeking peace, even in the, in the face of people making it quite difficult. That's what Peter says is the path we have to take. Um, he goes on in verse 13 and following and expands this to talk about conversation. So he's thinking here about the, the kind of interpersonal realities they're facing at work or at home or at, you know, CrossFit or whatever, he's saying, you know, even if you should suffer for what, doing what is right, you are blessed, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your, in your hearts, this is verse 15, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Those words are almost exactly the same as the words he uses when he talks to wives in the passage we looked at last week about how they are to be, gentleness and respect. It's the same kind of spirit. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Go back and have a look at the, first, um, the, the verses after chapter 2, verse 11, if you want to see these ideas again. Peter's saying, in even in, in conversation... Approach people with peace and gentleness and humility. Be ready to give an answer, but with a deep respect and gentleness. But what's really interesting here is that 
even though these ideas are familiar, what's new here is that he says this or something like it. Did you notice it? Verse 9, to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Right? That's a way of saying this is good for you. This is the way to live so that things go well for you. The, the verses in verse 10 that we looked at, whoever would love life and see good days, do this. You want your life to go well? Do these things. Sometimes people are really down on that kind of talk, right? On, on the idea that we should seek what's good for us. The philosopher Immanuel Kant, I, I don't know if any of you have spent much time with him, I hope for your sakes you haven't, but uh, he thought actually this kind of talk did not belong in ethics. Any, any thought about what's right for me, he said, you haven't even begun with morality. Morality begins where thinking about yourself ends. Well, the Bible is just not quite as stern as Kant. It says, you, you have this aspiration. You want your life to go well. Here's how. Here's how. It's the way of gentleness and generosity. Okay, but fine, but... How does that work? Why is that the case? Because on the face of it, that doesn't look likely, right? In fact, all through 1 Peter, Peter has made it clear that this path, this generosity and gentleness, is also a path of suffering. He's made this really clear all over the place. Actually, and even in this passage in verse 14... He makes it clear that this might involve suffering, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. So something has happened to here. This is not simply love life and see good days in the sense of, you know, nice barbecues and everything being smooth. No, this, this blessedness he's talking about, this, this fulfillment of this longing, it can go even with suffering. So, is this just a bait and switch? Right? Has Peter kind of gone, you want happiness? Oh, let me tell you how you can get it. But then it turns out what you're getting is not happiness, but suffering. Actually, that's not what's happening. That's not what Peter thinks is happening. For one very simple reason, but a very big reason. The reason is Peter wants us to recognize, and he wants them to recognize, that there is a factor, there is a, 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 a fact, a reality that changes the whole equation. It's there already in verse 12 in the psalm. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then it's there again in what follows, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your Christ, revere, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. You see, the reason that Peter says that this is through happiness is because he wants his hearers, he wants us to register the fact that there really is a Lord. There is a Lord whose eyes are on the righteous, whose ears are open to their prayers, and whose face is against evil. And that Lord is Jesus Christ. Um, what Peter does there in verse 14 is actually 
and 15 quite interesting. Uh, he's quoting there, when he says, don't fear their threats, don't be frightened, but in your Christ's in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He's actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He's quoting this bit from Isaiah chapter 8. This is Isaiah speaking. He says, This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Now, actually, in, in 1 Peter, um, in verse 15, where it says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, in the Greek text, actually, all Peter has done is put the word Christ into verse 13, where it says, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. Same words as in Peter. It's just, it's just really hard in the translation to track these things. But what Peter's done is to say, the Lord Christ is the one you are to regard as holy. Peter wants us, and the Bible wants us, to, to register the fact that there is a Lord. There is a Lord who cares about good and evil. And if that's the case, then it changes the question of happiness radically. Because if there is a Lord who cares about good and evil and whose blessing is bestowed on the righteous and who is against those who do evil, then if you, if you really ask the question, how can my life go well? The answer, the decisive factor is, how, is where is God's blessing? Where can I live within the blessing of this Lord? No, number of houses, or great holidays, or barbecues, or friendships, can compensate for a loss of the blessing of the Lord, if there really is a Lord. Jesus said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world, but to lose their soul? Peter is doing the same, it's the same logic here. And that's why he, he can say, that's why he thinks and he says, if you, wanna, if you really want to fulfill that longing you have for happiness, the answer is to live within the blessing of the Lord. To live within the blessing of the Lord. That's a big deal. Right, but that is what's going on here, and that's what leads Peter in verse 17 to be able to say, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's better. It's better for you, says Peter, because it's better for you to be within the blessing of Jesus than to have everything else but lack that one thing. Friends, I just want to take a moment to ask you, do you believe that? Do you, have you registered that? And if you really want your life to go well, if you really want happiness, do make sure you have registered that there is no having that apart from the blessing of Jesus Christ. 
But, okay, why should we trust that, actually? Right, that's all, that all makes sense in theory, but can we trust that? Can we trust Jesus, and can we trust that path? I think that's the kind of question that leads Peter into these strange verses from verse 18 and following. Um, the first bit is simple. Verse 18, Peter, Peter begins by saying, because this is the path that Jesus took, right? This is the Lord's path, this path of generosity and gentleness. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Now that's a reference to the resurrection. What Peter means there is that Jesus rose from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't mean that Jesus came back to life as a ghost and no longer with a body because actually everything else in the New Testament and that he says makes clear that Jesus rose with a body. It just was a spirit, a body animated by the power of the Holy Spirit and so no longer under the, the power and limitations of life in this world, the broken, corrupted life that we're under. Jesus was made alive in the Spirit, says Peter. He, he, he rose from the dead full of power and might and authority. But then in verse 19, he goes on to say something most people find pretty peculiar. Actually, one, one commentator I read this week uh, said that this verse, verse 19, is the most obscure verse in the New Testament. I don't know about that, but it is. It is. It's not particularly easy. So let's have a look at it and see what... You, but I think it helps, though, to, to see the big picture. That Peter's big idea here is he's talking about why we can trust this path and why we can trust this Lord. And what he's going to do here is talk about the, perf, the perfection and the totality of Christ's triumph. The perfection and the totality of Christ's triumph. So verse 19, have a look. Peter writes, after being made alive, uh, literally that's just in the spirit, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt, from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. What is all that about? People disagree about this, um, so all I can do is tell you what I think. And it's not something I made up, it's one of the options that are out there, but I think it's right. James Chen, I think, has a different view, so you can talk to him afterwards about what he thinks. Um, either way, I think the big point I want to make is, is intact, so I'm not too worried. And, and, and I am always worried when James disagrees with me because he's often right, but I think I'm right this time, so I'm going to go with it. So what's, going, what's this deal with the imprisoned spirits? Well, in Genesis chapter 6, at the beginning of the story of Noah, there is this strange story about the sons of God having children with human beings. Not much more is said than that. It said the sons of God, you know, knew the children of, of humans and they had offspring who were giants. Or something like giants. It's a bit weird. 
Um, what is that about? I don't know. But in Jewish tradition, there was actually quite a lot of stuff about this, right? People thought about it and wrote about it, and they thought that was a significant story because it was this, it's one of the moments where you get a kind of window onto a much bigger cosmic picture behind the picture we see. It's like you get this little window there onto a, a, a cosmic battle between good and evil. And in particular, there's a document called One Enoch. It's, a sto- it's, 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 a, it's not a book of the Bible. It's, not even, it's, just, it's just a book of... It's a piece of Jewish literature uh, from, you know, the period before Jesus. One Enoch has this develops this story about the evil angels in Genesis 6. It develops it at great length. And 1 Enoch talks about how the evil angels who did this were put in prison. They were imprisoned. Now, I think that's what Peter's referring to here. I think he's making a reference to a a well-known interpretation of Genesis chapter 6. What on earth does that mean? Actually, it's nowhere near as bad and confusing as that might seem. Peter is just talking about one of the ways in which Christ triumphed over all the forces in the universe. Christ, in the spirit, after the resurrection, Peter says, went and proclaimed his triumph even to those angels who rebelled right back there in Noah's time. What he's saying is that Christ triumphed. He won the victory over every power and authority in the universe. That's why he ends in the way he does in verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Peter's point is that the salvation that Christ has won for us, which is in a way like Noah's salvation, saving people out of that time of darkness, but Christ's salvation is utterly reliable, utterly perfect, untouchable, because every single power in the universe that opposes him has been put under his feet. His, proclam- his, his victory has been announced to every force in the universe. Now, most of us don't talk a lot or think a lot, I imagine, about angels and demons and things. That's fine, whatever. But we do talk a lot about powers. We talk a lot about forces. Just watch your language. Watch the language in the news for a little while. We talk about progress. We talk about the momentum ideas have. We talk about the market and the economy and all sorts of abstract forces like that. We talk about elites. We talk about, um, you know, movements of thought. I think what this, the message of this text for us actually is it's a reminder that all of those, whether natural or supernatural or whatever, And every element of the cosmos that we have no idea about, every aspect of reality that we have not even seen or touched or heard of has been put under the feet of Jesus Christ. And so if he says he can save you, 
He really can. If he says he can bring you to God, you can trust him. If he says that baptism, which, which is the mark of somebody receiving new birth by putting their faith in him and setting out on the path that we see before us, if he says that that is the way to a hope beyond imagining and true blessing, you know he's telling the truth because every power in the universe is under his feet. I think some, some of us, probably more than we admit, feel oppressed. Maybe not by anything super weird, just by the realities of life. Tossed about by powers outside our control. At the mercy of changes in the world that, that we just can't keep up with. Never able to get on top of things. Christ's victory has been announced over all of that. And none of that can stop him presenting you to God with a clear conscience, if you let him. Brothers and sisters, that's why we can trust him when he says, this is the way. And that's why he holds out a promise of things turning out well, in the truest and richest sense, whatever else may come and whatever griefs there may be and whatever we may lose, he will not be defeated in his purpose to bless you. Okay, well, where does that lead us? Leave us. Well, it leaves us, I hope, wanting to follow this path. And here I want to say just two things. The first is, get on the path. <laughs> If you're not on it, get on it. If you, do you want your life to go well? Like, do you want your life to turn out well? You do. You do. Everybody does. Do you want to love life and see good days? Well, the Bible says there is a way you can have that. Maybe not in exactly the form you hoped to have it. You may have to give up that. There may be grief in that. But the promise of blessing, of your life really going well and ending up with magnificence that is there and it is offered to you. And Jesus says, come to him. And I hope that will lead you to baptism and to walking in the way of faith. But for many of us who are already on the path, uh, can I suggest, oh, I don't have another slide, can I suggest actually what we ought to do is to go back and look at the detail of this and, and work out what our next steps might be. And so I want to I finish quite practically. Have a look at these, this text again. How, where do you need to grow and learn this path of faithfulness of, of revering Christ as Lord and living gently and generously? Where do you need to grow in this task of walking towards the blessing of God?
Do you need to become more sympathetic? Verse 8, or compassionate. Are, are you actually quite, quite, if you're honest, quite emotionally hard to people? Do you need to learn not to repay evil with evil or perhaps insults with insult? Have you got into a habit of insulting people? Find a way out of that, God's Word says. Think about the psalm again. Keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. Do you need to repent of a tendency to fall into patterns of speech that are a lies? Do you need to learn to seek peace? Have you become a person who actually just loves to fight? Who's, who's ready for a fight? Ready to be activated and to spring into action? Jesus' way is to seek peace. And finally... What about verse 15? Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He's just said, don't fear their threats, don't be frightened, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do you need to learn new courage? New courage to speak up and to answer, but at the same time, respect and gentleness. Our vision prayer for this season, I think, really resonates with this passage. Uh, we've asked God to help us become a community holding out the good news of Jesus to those around us with confidence, gentleness, and joy. Can I urge you to keep praying that? Because it is, I think, what Scripture calls us to here, to hold out the word to those around us with confidence, with courage, ready to give an answer, but also with gentleness and above all joy because there is a hope set before us and because Christ has triumphed, it cannot be taken away. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your victory over every power and authority in the universe. And we praise you that through it you offer us and have given us a salvation that is perfect and complete and untouchable. Lord, give us great joy as we take that path and we thank you that at the end of it lies our perfect good. Amen. about our church, please visit neac.com.au.